Welcome to the Andy Griffin Show. Wake up! With your chance to sound off, give your opinion, and tell us your thoughts. It's on. It's now. It's here. It's the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890. 92.5. KDXU, Southern Utah's News Talk Leader. Oh, I hope your weekend was fantastic. I hope you had a good Father's Day, dads. And my wife made. I'm digressing a little bit. My wife made this thing for me. It's a chocolate. It's a we call them fudgy bars, but she made it with peanut butter. So you have a layer of cookie, uh, and then this fudge stuff that she creates, and then layer uh, another layer of cookie. And uh, she made peanut butter for me. So it was like a it was like a reverse Oreo or no a reverse Reese's. It was amazing. Anyway, hope you had a good Father's Day. Mitch Cloward joins me on the program today, and. Uh, Mitch has been on a couple of times before and uh, always does a fantastic job. He is, uh, I wanted to read your official title, Mitch, before we uh, get into it. Uh, the CEO of St. George Regional Hospital, Intermountain Healthcare, right. uh, also the COO, Chief Operating Officer for Acute Care for the Region. Yeah. That makes sense? Is that all that you correct? You got it right. Okay, good. Good. Um, what does all that mean? Well, it means that uh, Mitch has a lot of responsibility, a lot of responsibility. And uh, I hope you have my wife. I call her the fixer. She works over for Washington City. If there's a problem, they don't go to the city manager or the mayor. They go to the fixer. My wife, I hope you have a fixer somewhere along the way in your program. If there's a problem, you say, well, go to them. Yes, absolutely. I've got a lot of fixers. Do you? Lots okay, of help. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mitch, thanks for coming on today. You spoke at Chamber of Commerce uh, last Wednesday. Uh, I got to ask you, you're, you, you know, you have a pretty important job. You speak probably to a lot of big groups. Do you s- still get nervous or is that kind of thing? I, not a big deal. Anymore? I think it's always there. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to never go away. You get a little more comfortable with it as time passes, but mm-hmm. there's always that feeling inside that th- you're nervous or anxious for sure. Mm, Absolutely. And I think the audience, what kind of audience it is too, uh, makes a difference. If you were speaking to other CEOs of other hospitals around the country, that'd probably be something to be a little more nervous about than if you're speaking to the, the local PTA or something, I'm guessing. I agree. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, I thought you did a fantastic job. And I felt yeah. like, uh, as I listened to you talk, I think, you know, this is some important stuff that the listeners ought to maybe uh, get to know and learn a little bit about Intermountain Healthcare here in in St. George and, and around the, the West because... I don't. I don't think a lot of people even know the history about of how this all came about and what IHC Intermountain Healthcare does. Yeah, absolutely. And um, <laughs> I'm gonna have to put a dollar in the jar. Yeah, you're gonna have to put a dollar in the jar. Yeah. <laughs> when when we were changing from IHC to Intermountain Healthcare, if we said IHC, we had to put a dollar in the jar. So we we don't ever do that anymore. <laughs> but did, did, did uh, you get everybody cured of the habit. It, it, it cured yeah. it pretty quick. That jar filled up pretty fast for I the first few had, weeks. Yeah. Can't remember who it was, but I actually had someone on the show a few weeks ago. Uh, and I said I see a couple of times, and, and she was pretty firm about correcting correcting that. that no, yeah. It is not a I see. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I first want to say before I start talking about the history of Intermountain Healthcare that I can't think of anything more important in our lives than our health. Mm-hmm. And so, I hope that every one of us are taking the time to think about our health. There's a lot that we can do to stay healthy ourselves by making good decisions. Agreed. And so I just wish everyone out there, all your listeners this morning, the very best of health. And I can't think of a greater gift than our health. And it's important to make sure that your health is a priority in your life. And so maybe just a few 
thoughts about how to do that. I think it's important to first make a commitment that your health is going to be a priority in your life. Okay. I think another thing that's important is to identify um, a primary care physician, which would be your health coach or your medical home. Okay. Um, over the course of your life, you have a partner in managing your health. And so I um, have a primary care physician that I schedule an appointment with once a year, whether I need it or not. <laughs> um, I get um, some blood drawn and I get lab work and there's a lot of things happening inside my body that I would never know right. had I not gotten that, that blood work and those labs done and then a phone call from my physician to help interpret those results. So I think it's important to um, exercise. There's so many things we can do in this community. You can walk, you can run, you can hike, you can bike. You um, forgot my favorite, pickleball. Pickleball, yeah. absolutely. I see the Rite Aid was converted into a uh, indoor pickleball yeah, court. That was it, pretty cool. Yeah, that's, that's on its way. And, it, of course, we have dozens of courts in the area for uh, outdoor. Absolutely. But I think we at the hospital and in Intermountain Healthcare are doing everything we can to help people focus on living the healthiest lives possible. And so I wanted to lead out with that this morning that like make it. that commitment, take that time, be careful with what you eat. Um, Unfortunately, on, on Father's Day weekend, sometimes how much you eat, too, can be a problem. <laughs> but yeah. um, I think that's really important. Um, the second thing that I want our listener, your listeners to know is that there's world-class health care right here in St. George. I've traveled the country. I've been in health care for now 32 years. My journey started out 32 years ago as a housekeeper. Wow. In a very large hospital cleaning patient rooms. And that's not an easy job, That's Mitch. not an easy job, but I knew that it was an important job, mm -hmm. and there's been so many things that I've done between then and now, but um, Intermountain Healthcare and those of us at the hospital care about your health. We're here for you 24-7 to help you live the healthiest lives possible, but I do think in the context of world-class healthcare, it's important for us to talk about Intermountain Healthcare. Yeah. Because in healthcare circles across the country and even internationally, it's recognized right along with the Mayo Clinic, the Cleveland Clinic, um, Kaiser. Intermountain Healthcare is a globally recognized healthcare name and uh, looked at as a leader across the country in terms of healthcare systems and how Intermountain Healthcare embraces caring for people in our communities that we serve. So I think that's important. What does that mean to your average person? Say I have, uh, you know, heaven forbid, a cancer diagnosis yeah. or, or uh, I get a traumatic brain injury. What does that mean when you, when you talk about yeah. Intermountain Healthcare being world class? What does that mean to someone that lives right here? That, that, that reputation really is centers around two things. Mm -hmm. High quality at a lower or more affordable cost than other states in the country. And we have good data to support those, those claims. Mm -hmm. It means that Intermountain Healthcare is going to provide the very best evidence-based medicine at the lowest appropriate cost. And that is, the, I think, the foundation of our reputation nationally nice. and internationally. And that's what uh, our community can expect from Intermountain Healthcare locally. And I want to talk a little bit about how that reputation was established because it's taken many, many years. Okay. So... In 1975, okay. here I in the was, state... I was nine years old. Nine years old. Mm -hmm. I was trying, I'm trying to think how old I was as well. <laughs> I would think I was, um, I was about eight years old. Oh, okay. So we're about the same age. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the state of Utah owned and operated 15 hospitals. Wow, okay. That became a pretty daunting task. And the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints decided that health care and hospitals was not going to be part of their mission. They've got to get out uh, of it. You okay. know, again, globally, just not something that they wanted to focus on. So they did feel like um, there needed to be a commission when they when they chose to divest themselves of these 15 hospitals. A not-for-profit organization was formed mm-hmm. in 1975, which became known as Intermountain Healthcare. Nice. And Victor Brown was the presiding bishop at the time mm-hmm. in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and he gave a commission to Intermountain Healthcare to become a model healthcare system, hmm. nationally and internationally. Easy to say. Easy to not, say, not, not easy and it's taken do. many, many years yeah. to, to accomplish. And so um, they also, at the time, commissioned this new not-for-profit organization to be not-for-profit. It was mm-hmm. formed intentionally as a not-for-profit rather than for-profit, and to serve the communities in which these hospitals resided, regardless of a person's ability to pay for the care. Wow. All right. That, that's, yeah. I, I was going to say, before we get to that part yeah. of it, I want to talk about what that means, not-for-profit versus for-profit. What's the percentage in the United States of hospitals of, of the two categories there? Do, um, do you know about? I, I think roughly there's probably more across the country, slightly more not-for-profits than for-profits, okay. I would think, yeah. But it's pretty close. It, yeah, there's, close. there's there's a lot of not-for-profit hospital and healthcare systems across the country. But for hospitals, I think predominantly, there's I'd give an edge to not-for-profit without having data in front of me. Okay, and and what does that mean for the everyday person? Maybe sure. someone that, that has insurance that could pay their bills, a not-for-profit versus a for-profit. Absolutely. Um, so I think it's important to understand that as a not-for-profit. We're going to care for anyone who, who comes through our doors regardless of their ability to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. Yeah. It is awesome, and it's part of our mission. It's who we are. Um, I think one of the core differences to maybe simplify the discussion is that a for-profit has a group of owners of the business that are shareholders, and there is pressure to return money, money. To, the, to the owners yeah. of the business quarterly. Money. Sure. And in Dallas, Texas, before I moved here, I belonged to a for-profit health insurance company. And those pressures to return profits to the shareholders, the owners of the business, it, it's very real. Um, it's tangible. And so hmm. coming here to St. George and working for Intermountain Healthcare, our discussions in our boardroom are, are center around how we can provide better health care to those we serve. And it feels really good to make sure that that's the predominant topic of every meeting that I'm involved in. Now, of course, we, we can't, without money, to fund our mission. We, we have no mission. We have no hospital. We have no health care system. Right. So we do have to still focus on making sure we are prudent with our resources. But we don't have uh, owners of the business we have to ter- return the money back to. Hmm. And I guess metaphorically speaking, um, the money we do make is returned back into the community. Um, we're salaried employees over at the hospital. And so um, the money we do make gets reinvested in the community in the form of recruiting more nurses. And better Re- doctors. Better doctors. Yeah. And we this is staggering now. We have over 400 physicians on our medical staff just in our hospital here in St. George. Wow. So they come from all across the country. And they come here because of, in part, the reasons why we're all here. 
It's a safe community. Uh, the weather's great. Beautiful surroundings. You can enjoy the outdoors. Plus, these physicians have enough patience to serve and to practice their skill. Um, you know, they spent many, many years training to do what they do, and so they need to have enough of a population to practice those skills. And so it all comes together here um, with colleagues they can work with and trust and bounce ideas off of. Are there, are there uh, salaries competitive with... You know, if I go to Dallas or if I go to Minneapolis or whatever. We, we have to be competitive, but there are differences in compensation in, and in reimbursement across the country in different markets. Mm-hmm. So we, we stay focused on market surveys, market-based surveys so that we understand what is a competitive rate because uh, you find out pretty quickly when you're recruiting physicians or nurses from across the country what a competitive wage is. Sure. And I think Intermountain Healthcare's done a really good job trying to stay on top of that. Now, having said that, we're in a period of time where we're hitting inflation rates that are higher than they've been in 40 years, right? So yeah, no matter how much we make, it's never enough. Right. But I know yeah. that Intermountain Healthcare is very focused on looking at minimum wages, um, doing everything we can to help our caregivers um, have a very competitive wage relative to other industries in the market and even healthcare across the country. Are so. you are you experiencing like almost every other industry a shortage of people? You're not getting enough people to fill all your positions? We we had during the pandemic, the height of the pandemic, oh, I yeah. want to say, I mean today looking at our hospital census we have nine covid patients. So unfortunately, covid hasn't covid hasn't disappeared, but that right. being said, during the height of covid Um, We did lose um, caregivers who chose to go to work in other industries because of the added pressure coming to work every day and caring for very, very sick people. But I think we're back on a resurgence, um, and we have have challenges recruiting caregivers just like anyone else does in this community. But but we're certainly back on the uptick on that in terms of staffing. Yeah, that's good. All right. Uh, well, uh, okay. So now back to yeah. giving yeah. care to those who, who can't afford to get care. It, it's fascinating to me. There was a time in my life, probably yours too, maybe when you were first married, where you just didn't have any money. Yeah. Uh, back then, I, I don't recall, but I don't believe health insurance was even uh, the law at that point. Yeah. I know car insurance wasn't yet because I didn't insure my car. Yeah. I got, got yelled at by my mom, but that's a whole other story. Anyway, uh, and, and so had something... You know, had I fallen and hurt myself or something, and unfortunately that didn't happen when I was younger, uh, I probably wouldn't have been able to pay for the yeah. medical care necessary to take care of me. Right. And what you're saying now is doesn't matter. We're going to take care of it. We'll figure out a way. We'll figure out a way. And we have um, patient advocates mm-hmm. or financial advisors so that when you do come in, you can have a discussion about maybe you're someone who, who doesn't have health insurance, but we have experts that have access to a lot of information to maybe connect you with a way to have insurance cover okay. what you need. Or or if, if, if there's simply no insurance available, no resources there, oftentimes we just write that off entirely. But we do have a conversation with all of our patients about their ability to pay for their care. But regardless of that discussion, um, they will get the care that they need. Uh, when That is really awesome. Yeah, and it is. that's part of our not-for-profit mission in lieu of paying taxes, we have to demonstrate that we're providing as much or more in charity care than we would have paid in taxes. And every year I meet with the county commissioners and we demonstrate that. And last year we wrote off we wrote off 
22 to 23 million dollars we provided wow. in charity care where, where people just simply came in to get care and they just had no means to pay for it and i love that about our not-for-profit mission is that Absolutely. we're going to take care of you yeah. um now if if people have the means and they do have insurance um people need to expect to pay for that because you know having physicians available 24 7 in the hospital having the very best nurses that's not an inexpensive proposition right and when we all need it we want the very best so so we want to recruit the very best and and that does cost money so i uh i don't know if it's the right time to talk yeah. about it but unfortunately i've been actually a uh, a patient in your hospital yeah. three times in the last year uh and one was 12 hours one was seven days and one was three days oh my word uh and uh, I found the uh, I found the care to be fantastic. Uh, really, I, I, one thing that I I I think is new. Maybe it's not new, but it's a, it's a trend. Is you have hospitalists. Yes. Uh, it used to be if you went to the hospital, your doctor, probably your primary oh, care word. guy, would yeah. come in and take care of you, and, and if he had time, if he wasn't delivering a baby or doing something yeah. else, and, and so it was kind of cool. Uh, especially the second time I, or the third time I was in, I was in for three days. I had the same hospitalist the whole time, and yeah. I really felt like like he got what was going on with me, as opposed to you know uh, the, the old way of doing things. Is that a, a recent trend to have hospitalists? It, it's a, in healthcare. It's a fairly recent trend, and okay. and also it's a trend in very large hospitals. You know, St. George Regional Hospital now is one of the largest hospitals or trauma centers in the entire state of Utah. Mm. So in these larger hospitals, you start seeing that kind of infrastructure. So I'm glad you, you brought this up. Historically, um, you know, a primary care physician is a family practitioner or right. an internal medicine physician. And early in the morning, these physicians historically, before the advent of the hospitals program, mm -hmm. would go and round on their patients in the hospital before they even started seeing patients in the clinic. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Like you're waking up. And you're in the hospital at 6 a.m. between 6 and 7, rounding on your patients as a family practitioner or an internal medicine physician. Then you go into your clinic. Work all day. You're working hard. You may be having to get called in to go round on some of your patients at noon in the hospital. So there's no lunch yeah. or very little time to get something to eat. And then you go back to the hospital and then at you know five or six o'clock at night, you're finishing up. You're you're seeing patients in the clinic, and then you're going back to the hospital to then round on your More patients rounds. again. Okay. That just became too much. And that doesn't count emergencies. And no. and, and if you're delivering a baby, which uh, uh, GPs used to do that uh, back in the uh, day, exactly. And so mm -hmm. now we have what we call hospitalists. So these are family practice physicians or internal medicine physicians, and all they do is care for patients that are in the hospital. I love that. During an inpatient yeah. stay. Really cool. They they are very focused on that care. They're very good at it. But they're also communicating what's happening to you back to your primary care physician who's working in the clinic. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and it's not only for family practice and internal medicine, but it's also for, for, also for physicians who are obstetricians and gynecologists or as you said, family practice doctors who deliver babies. Yeah. We also have what's called laborists. That's so right. these are that's who was on a few weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, they were. They are obstetricians and gynecologists, and all they do is care for patients who are in the hospital mm -hmm. um, because 
you can deliver at any time, 24-7, and your, your obstetrician and gynecologist who's seeing patients in an outpatient setting may not be able to be there in a timely manner. Right. But nevertheless, they respond, but we also have laborists or obstetricians and gynecologists who all they do is practice in hospitals. So regardless, you're going to be well cared for. Someone's going to be there for you 24-7 if you're delivering a baby. How does I was curious about this. I was on the third floor, mm-hmm. and then I was on the fourth floor. I had the same problem both times when I was in. So how how do you how how are they all sorted? What floor yeah. you're on, and where you end well, up? Well, I don't during understand. during times when our census isn't exceeding our capacity, mm-hmm. the, the the floors that you're placed on are pretty consistent. So okay. we have medical floors, we have an oncology floor, we have mm-hmm. an orthopedic floor. We have a surgical floor. The surgical floor is for patients who've had surgery and they need to spend the night in the hospital. Recover, yeah. uh, we have an observation unit where we're not quite comfortable sending you home. And so for mm. a 23-hour period, we monitor and watch you. We have an observation unit. So we have an intensive care unit for those that need that sure. highly specialized care in the hospital. So, But during times of high census, when our hospital's full, and we have almost 300 licensed beds now at our hospital, we'll be adding more. Um, you, you can find yourself on another floor than you typically would be cared for because our, our hospital is full. And that certainly was the case during COVID. There were days we had more patients that needed our care than we had beds. Uh, and never in the history of our hospital have we had that intensity like we did during the, during that period of time. Let me ask you about this. I thought this was really strange to me. Yeah. Uh, there are plenty of conspiracy theorists out there, and some of them are like, yeah, I, you know, and, and it's, to, to me, it's fairly reasonable. But there were people literally saying, well, Mitch Cloward or, or, or Dr. Carroll or whoever, they're lying to us. There aren't really that many people in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, well, wait a minute. I think that probably Mitch Cloward knows how many people is in his hospital. Why? In the, I mean, it just didn't make any sense to me that, that people would, would think that. Did you get some of that? And people we, going, we I don't did. believe you. People were very skeptical, and, and yeah. we really, our only agenda at the hospital is trying to heal every person Fix that came people, through yeah. our doors. That is and will always be our focus, is our patients. But it was, um, I think it was discouraging sometimes for healthcare workers to hear that yeah. because we, we lived through it every day. And so um, now the census does ebb and flow hour to hour in a hospital, sure, right? Sure. But, but for sure, I mean, we had as many as 92 COVID patients in our hospital at once. That really is essentially one out of, one out of every three of our patients in the hospital during that time was a COVID patient. And in the history of our hospital, we've never had one diagnosis take up that many beds. We've mm-hmm. never had one diagnosis represent one out of every three of our patients in our hospital we care for. That's that's unprecedented. But somebody's going, well, Mitch, you must be lying. You're fudging the numbers, <laughs> Mitch, because you want more money from the government or, or whatever it is. And I, like I said, I I just, I would scratch my head and go, what? How, I, I mean, he knows how many people are in his hospital. He knows what they are sick from. And it, it, and, yeah. and we, we, we welcomed people to gown up and take a tour of our hospital. Mm. During that time, we were very transparent. We invited community leaders to come in and take a tour. We invited them to watch what our caregivers were experiencing. Yeah. And you think about, we, we talk about personal protective equipment, 
face shields, gloves, gowns. And we call that the donning and doffing process when you take those donning on and, and put doffing. them on. Okay. And we said, you know, look at, watch a nurse do that 60 to 70 times during the course of their 12 hour shift. Unbelievable. And look how fatiguing wow. that is. Look how expensive that is for the hospital to keep purchasing that much personal protective equipment. So it was exhausting, it was consuming, and, and it was expensive. So. All right, we're going to get a, a quick break in, okay. a little weather forecast. More with Mitch Cloward, the uh, CEO of St. George Intermountain Healthcare Regional Hospital. So I just just St. George Hospital. Can Saint I call George it that? Hospital. Yeah, that's good. All right. <laughs> Compelling guests, hot topics, the latest news, always on the Andy Griffin Show. Is there a juicy part in it for me? Right here on News Radio 890, 92.5 KDXU, Southern Utah's news talk leader. Welcome back. I'm Andy. This is the Andy Griffin Shoe Shoe or Show. Either one. If you're Ed Sullivan, it's the Shoe. Anyway, uh, I'm not that old. Uh, Mitch Cloward with me today on the Andy Griffin Show. We're talking about Intermountain Healthcare and uh, St. George Regional Hospital. And uh, I think it'd be fun to take a look back on on how this all got started. Uh, you know, with a town the size we are now. Obviously, Mitch, uh, we need we need a, a, a good hospital, and we have a good hospital. Uh, but I guess probably a few years back, uh, there were some people with some some foresight, with some vision of what we were going to need. Because uh, without them, who knows, right? Absolutely, and, and and we know from the latest U.S. Census report, for the last two times. We're the fastest-growing metropolitan statistical area in the country. So you can't travel around anywhere in this community without seeing new houses, new growth, and new developments. So that's something that keeps me up at night. But um, talking about the origins of Intermountain Healthcare running a hospital in this community, um, in 1975 we talked about Mm. the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints divesting itself of the 15 hospitals that it owned and operated. Mm Mm-hmm. And forming this new not-for-profit um, Intermountain Healthcare healthcare system. A year later, in 1976, um, Murray Webb was the county commissioner here in Washington County, and the commissioners were very um, consumed with a lot of priorities. The county was running the hospital at the time. They were also very concerned about infrastructure mm-hmm. roads prison yeah um pipes pipes <laughs> <laughs> the things that they should be worried about yeah and healthcare was just not something they wanted to continue to focus on so um they put out an rfp they wanted different hospital systems to respond to then sell the hospital and so um this is where um one of our beloved community members comes into the picture Dave Jepson, who unfortunately we lost in April. Hmm. But Dave Jepson was an executive vice president for the then newly formed Intermountain Healthcare in Salt Lake, and he came down to St. George, and he had a discussion with Murray Webb about the county hospital. Okay. And Murray talked about the importance of providing high-quality, affordable health care here locally. World-class health care, the very best health care. But... So these guys, before you go any further, yeah. these guys aren't, aren't talking about, hey, let's find a way to get rich. That was absolutely not their goal at all. That was not their goal. In fact, um, 
Murray Webb claimed that another healthcare system had offered them several million dollars for the hospital here. Hmm. Intermountain Healthcare basically came in and said, "Here's our not-for-profit mission. When we build a hospital, we stay forever. Um, and but but we will uh, we will absorb the the debt that's owed on this hospital. But other than that, um, that's about what we'll do in terms of the the monetary exchange." And he thought Dave Jepson thought at the time. Well, they've got another healthcare system that can offer them I don't know how many millions of dollars for this hospital. We're we're simply out. We just we no absorb chance. the debt of this hospital. We're, yeah. We'll take we'll assume the debt. And um, he got a phone call two days later to his surprise, and Murray said, "We want Intermountain Healthcare to wow. run and operate this hospital." Wow! Did he say why he picked Intermountain Healthcare? Um, just talking about that not-for-profit, community-based mission. So he liked High the model. High quality. Hmm. We'll take care of you regardless of your ability to pay. You come through our doors, we're going to take care of you. Hmm. That not-for-profit mission seemed very much aligned with what the county wanted for members of this community. And it was the perfect match. And there were some high commissions made from Murray Webb to Dave Jepson at the time, too, during that handshake and a promise. Because essentially that's what it was. Yeah. When when Murray Webb agreed to let Intermountain Healthcare own the hospital, it was a handshake and a promise. Hmm. A handshake that we're going to make the commitment to serve this community, bring world-class health care here, and provide health care to people regardless of their ability to pay. We are proud, and, and Dave Jepson would say that before he passed, that he would feel good having that discussion with Murray Webb in fulfilling that commitment. We've held true to our promise. There's much more that we need to do, and, and my focus is now on the next 15 years. And what we need to do to stay cutting edge to continue to bring world-class health care close to home. But, but we've done that, and I want to share a few examples of some of the things we've done that demonstrate world-class health care. Um, in women and newborn services, our C-section rates and early uh, elective delivery rates are much lower than the national average. Our NICU complications, these babies with tiny complications, are far below the national average. That's high-quality health care for these tiny babies close to home. By the way, and on a personal note, I have two uh, grandbabies that were born and taken care of in the NICU. They were born, I think, at 27 or 28 20. weeks, and I, they, they made it. They, they, they're doing great. They just turned two years old. It, so. It's remarkable that you can take these tiny babies that can yeah. fit into your hand, and they your can, hand. Yeah. through the expertise of of our physicians and teams caring for these tiny babies. They thrive, they live, they grow. And this was during the height of COVID. In fact, their mom who bore them had COVID. So an amazing job done by IHC. That's that's world-class healthcare and that's close to home. And we see those examples every day where lives are saved. And sometimes obviously, despite our best efforts, we, we don't, we can't save a life at times, but but. but we're, we're always there. I think another example of uh, world-class healthcare is the work that uh, Lincoln Nadal's leading, mm-hmm. um, and that is with precision genomics right here in St. George. Yeah. We're a leader. Now, Terry, uh, who did we have on that was from that program? Do you remember? Uh, probably Travis Sheffield. Okay. Did yeah, Travis we, Sheffield come on? I, I, we had someone on from that program, and it was just it was incredibly fascinating to me that uh, you know it's almost matrix or, or or some kind of you know predicting the future type thing. It's, it's phenomenal. We we think that's the future of healthcare, and we're fortunate to have Dr. Lincoln Nadal, Derek Haslam, and others. I know uh, Howard McLeod has just joined the team, but we're we're fortunate to have them leading leading out, and that's something that's their leaders on not only here in 
the state of Utah and in St. George and Intermountain Healthcare, but nationally, internationally, leading out in terms of precision medicine. So, you know, the Human Genome Project took 10 years and about $3 billion to sequence the human genome. We can sequence a person's genes for free if you participate in our hydrogen study. And I am. uh, Which is great. (laughs) And, And we can sequence those genes within, I don't know, 24 to you know, 48, 72 hours. Wow. So. Amazing. And, but, and and for those that don't know, I'm going to try to simplify what yeah. that is. Uh, they are basically finding out if you are, through genetics, susceptible or likely to get a certain disease. And yeah. if they find that, they can let you know, and then you can decide how to, how to yeah. act on it. Exactly. That, yeah. That's the essence of what it is. Um, shifting away from treating and curing to preventing. Yeah. Uh, and we have geneticists and counselors that can help you with that process. But that therein is the future of medicine. If we can get mm-hmm. ahead of it, if we can identify those genetic variants and manage them or eradicate them before they manifest themselves, that is the future of medicine. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. And uh, I remember all the way back in college, and one of my professors saying, you know, we spend so much treating problems. If we could stop the problem before it happens, we would save so much time, effort, and money. A- so. Absolutely, yeah. And I think um, some other examples of world-class healthcare is that we have an MRI in our interoperative suite with our neurosurgeons. Unfortunately, I think we probably treat around 100 to 150 patients in our hospital that have brain tumors a year. Mm. We have phenomenal neurosurgeons. And let me just give a shout-out to Dr. Jotham Manwaring, uh, Dr. Berkeley Bade, and Dr. Frank Bishop. They're phenomenal neurosurgeons that have a solid team of caregivers around them here 24-7. But for patients who have brain tumors, we have an MRI right in the operating suite. You, you have these double doors, these stainless steel doors that open up, and, and, and a patient can be wheeled into the MRI wow. and then back into the operating arena. And that is so that the surgeons, these neurosurgeons, can extract those tumors with precision and get those margins. And, and, and that Incredible. is world-class healthcare yeah. close to home. Um, Incredible. Uh, yeah. And then also, they, they also are neurosurgeons and our orthopedic surgeons. They do you know, spine surgery. And so we are a... I know. I was there. Uh, that's, <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> that's not, not something you want to do, but if you, right. if you have to do it, we have yeah. world-class healthcare for spine surgery at our hospital. And we have joint commission certifications and accolades that, that, that validate the great work that we do. I haven't even talked about our comprehensive heart services at our hospital. Um, you know, we structural heart, um, cardiothoracic surgery, uh, TAVR procedures, um, mm-hmm. stents that are being placed. I mean, we have a very innovative, forward-thinking group of physicians uh, that, that lead the way that, um, you know, world-class heart care right here close to home in St. George. So, uh, I think, not to simplify it too much, but it used to be if you had any of the things we were just talking about, well, it's off to Vegas or off to Salt Lake. It, it's absolutely. That's how it used to be. Not it, even that long ago, 20 years ago or 30 a, years ago. Absolutely. And I, I want to give a shout out to my, my mentor, who's now retired, Terry Kane, who had the vision to bring the depth and breadth of services here in our community. In, in the state of Texas, I never saw in a community this size a big a hospital as we have here mm. with as many services that are provided. And I, I, I think Terry Kane is to be credited for that vision. I think Intermountain Healthcare and the Hand of Philanthropy. I am always astonished at how many people in this community care so much about their health care they donate time and money. Yeah. 
It's true. And I think I think in, in 2003 when we built this new beautiful hospital, it was $100 million. And the community raised $10 million of that because they wanted world-class health care close to home. And we have people moving into this community, and I have realtors tell me all the time, the top issue for people coming to this community who are retired is what's the health care like? How good is the hospital? Sure. And so we're very committed to make sure that with that handshake and the promise, we can t- continue to deliver world-class, cutting-edge health care right here close to home. It, it, it is so uh, nice to have. And, and I, I think people who have had that their whole lives, you know, been in the big city, lived near very big hospitals, maybe don't appreciate it as much as, as, as someone who has lived out in a rural area. Uh, where the, it wasn't available for you, and, and so when you have it here and it's close and it's it's you know easy, you don't even think about it. But but uh, it, I I can tell you, having lived out when I wasn't where I wasn't close to a hospital, it's a big deal. It, it's a big deal, and in my new role um, with Intermountain Healthcare, expanding now into seven states, yeah, well, I I spend time in Las Vegas. I've spent time in New York. And you're exactly right. Um, when you compare what we have here to other states across the country, we have very, very good health care. Yeah. All right. I got to take one more time out, Mitch. And when we come back, we'll talk about uh, Leavenworth, Kansas. Yes. And like, wait, wait what? Leavenworth? Trust me. We'll, we'll talk about it when we come back. This is the Andy Griffin Show on News Radio 890, 92.5 KDXU. Stay tuned for Clay and Buck coming up next. By the way, I wanted to mention this. Like I said, it doesn't really affect you listeners much, but on Friday, I'm sitting here doing my work in the studio, and all of a sudden, actually, I was recording a, a show for somebody, and all of a sudden, my email inbox blows up, boom, 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 but just hit after hit after hit after hit. You know how that is, Mitch, but, uh, and it turns out uh, the sale of Cherry Creek Media went through at 1129 on Friday morning, and we are now owned by Town Square Media. Uh, and like I said, it doesn't really affect much. I mean, at least I haven't been fired yet. I don't. You, you never know. But uh, uh, but it it was kind of weird to have that all happen. And of course, now I have a bunch of meetings I got to go to and training. And they're actually going to kill my email in, on July first, and I have to have a you know the transit. You know how it is when you change jobs. You have to transit. I didn't change jobs, but my job changed me or something like that. So anyway, we're owned by Town Square Media now officially. The FCC approved it and here we are. So Cherry Creek, technically Cherry Creek is no more. I'm happy so, you're still here. Yeah. We all love you. I want to say 370, or maybe it's 270. Anyway, a lot of stations nationwide. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about Town Square that I like is they don't like top 50 markets. So Houston, New York, you know, L.A., whatever, they stay out of those markets. All their stations are uh, below top 50 markets. So, uh, And they have, I think now, 50 talk st- news talk stations throughout the country. So, And we're one of them. Cool, huh? Happy you're still here. Yeah. Mitch uh, Cloward is with me. He is the CEO of St. George uh, Intermountain Healthcare Regional Hospital and also now regional, what do we call it, acute care director yep. or something like that? Regional, for the- regional chief operations officer over acute care. That's hospital-based care basically for Intermountain Healthcare in Nevada, Arizona, and southern Utah now. And, and tell us a little bit about what that means and about how uh, Leavenworth, Kansas yes, fits into all Leavenworth, that. Leavenworth, <laughs> Kansas. So... The Sisters of Charity of Leavenworth, another healthcare system. That sounds system. made up, but it okay. Sounds made up. <laughs> yeah. So 
like, you know, you know uh, you're talking about sports. Oh, yeah, they played Sisters of Charity yeah, something. And, but anyway, a, yeah. It's a tongue twister, but the healthcare system has its origins in Catholicism. And, okay. Um, Deep-seated in, in charity and, and in caring for people. So not for profit. Not again. for profit. Yeah. And so Intermountain Healthcare, as I talked about earlier, has national and international renown right up there with the Mayo Clinic, mm-hmm. Cleveland Clinic, and Kaiser. And so we have other healthcare systems throughout the country that approach us about merging. Uh, joining. Or joining yeah. together. Mm. And so... Um, the Sisters of Charity of Leavenworth in Kansas is mm-hmm. an example of that. Philosophically, the first important decision point for Intermountain Healthcare is, do we have the same philosophy when it comes to caring for patients? High quality, lowest appropriate cost, caring for anyone who walks through our doors. That is at the heart of any merger or acquisition that we will ever talk about. Mm-hmm. So we were spot on with the Sisters of Charity of Leavenworth. So... By the, by the way, before you go, yeah. how, how big is that group? How they, many hospitals do they have? They, well, I think, let me share with you some perspective here. After this merger took effect, and it wasn't an acquisition where Intermountain Healthcare acquired the Sisters of Charity Leavenworth. It was a merger. So now, together, we're in seven primary states. That's Utah, Nevada, Idaho, Colorado, Montana, Kansas, and Wyoming. Huh? We now have, together, 33 hospitals, including one virtual hospital. Really? We can care for patients in their home with technology as though they were in our hospital. So we've got one of those, and I think we'll see more of that innovation and technology as we go you're, ahead. You're not going to get my wife to stab me, though, <laughs> with, with <laughs> a, little, a little IV or whatever. No, you know? yeah, we're, we're still very, <laughs> very careful about what we do in a home. But if a person yeah. can be home and we can monitor them at home, yeah. all the better, that you that's, don't have to come into the hospital. really cool. So... That takes us to 4,700 licensed beds. Uh, Select Health is our insurance arm. We now insure over a million people. Uh, we now have what we call, rather than employees or workers, we call them caregivers. Mm-hmm. 59,000 caregivers, 385 clinics, and about nearly approaching 4,000 physicians and advanced practice providers. So so we're growing. We're expanding into other states. And people ask me, what, why? Why is that? And I think that um, it's an opportunity to do what we've done in the state of Utah, providing high-quality, affordable health care in other states. And other states and other health care systems are asking us to, inviting us to, to merge or join forces with them in caring for patients in other states, and particularly these other seven, these seven states. Oh, very, very cool. So, and, you know, Intermountain Healthcare had its origins in the state of Utah, but now rapidly expanding here in the Intermountain West, along I-15, really. Uh, we've got a couple of text people asking about uh, a monopoly, about yeah. IHC being the only ones here. I, before, before you answer that, I, I want to say, with, with what you've just talked about, first of all, striving to keep costs low, and second of all, having world-class health care, I'm just like, I don't care if there's any more hospitals anywhere. I, as, long as, as long as we got you guys, we're good. But there are people saying, well, yeah, but what about these other ones that want to come in? Sure. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, we don't. Our first commitment is to the community. Mm-hmm. Our focus will always be world-class health care, high-quality, affordable health care close to home. That is our focus day in and day out. We, other hospital systems have made announcements about coming here. 
I can't speak to other healthcare systems plans past, present, or future. Right. Um, but I can tell you it's a privilege to serve those that, that live here. And there will be another hospital in this community at some point in time. And together we'll want to collaborate where we can because it's an honor to take care of people that live here. And I think that that needs to be the first commitment of any healthcare system here is that the community we serve is number one. And in that regard, we want to be very collaborative with another hospital that comes here into the community to to work together the best we can to provide care to those we serve. It's not going to be a large, massive trauma center like we have now. It'll be a smaller hospital. And so patients that go there are still going to need higher levels of care, and we'll want to be that hospital's preferred partner when, when, when you know, someone needs higher levels of care for, for the things we provide that smaller hospitals don't. Okay. Okay. Uh, I don't, like I said, I mean, just as an average citizen, which I think I am, uh, I feel like you guys got it covered. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm world-class health care. Uh, and obviously, like you said, like three times, and I'll say it too, is, you know, healthcare is expensive, really is. expensive. Too expensive. Too expensive. Uh, but you guys are at least striving to, to get that under control. And since we're here, we're not stopping. We're going to continue to try and meet access needs. We're going to continue to recruit more physicians and nurses. We're going to continue to expand facilities. We're building a hospital in Hurricane. We're not going to stop. <laughs> Yeah. We're not going to slow down because the community is growing too fast for us to pause and say, well, we better slow down. We better stop recruiting. We better start stop adding more beds. We, we better stop expanding because another hospital is coming to town. We can't wait for that. We're right. going to continue to move forward and continue to try and uh, meet the needs of our, our community members here with expanding the size of our hospital and building another hospital in Hurricane right now. So. And I, and I think probably one of the worst things someone could hear is, well, we don't do that here. We're going to have to t- send you somewhere else. Right. We don't want to ever hear that. We don't want to hear that. And so yeah. we continue to recruit physicians that are highly subspecialized. Um, and we don't transfer many patients out of our hospital. When we do, it's typically children. And we send them to primary children's in Salt Lake City because those are highly subspecialized needs for children. Um, and, and then, you know, things that are very, very, very specialized for adults that, but, but most for, for, for the most part, patients stay here. We, we don't transfer many patients out anymore. We used to, but with the size of our hospital now and the scope and depth and breadth of physicians we have, we, we don't transfer many patients out anymore. I, I am so impressed when you talk about, we had a, a a guy in charge of the heart, uh, I don't remember, cardio department, uh, uh, talking about some of the stuff they do that just blew me away and of course the heredity and uh i think we're just really lucky to have you guys and i'm not i'm not like blowing smoke either uh, i feel like as an average citizen if i if there's something wrong with me and it can be done here it is done here and yeah. that and that's important to the average person really and, important. and not only is it done here but it's done as good or better than anywhere else you can get it done in the country exactly with the exactly. outcomes we track yeah. mitch we're down the final second okay. anything we forgot about just it's a it's a privilege to wake up every day and have the opportunity to serve people in this community. Stay healthy. Yeah. If you don't, we'll leave the light on for you. All right. Mitch Cloward, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Got a lot of fun stuff planned this week. Stay with me. I'm Andy Griffin. <laughs>